Hello and welcome to or welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Thanks so much for all your feedback around episode one. I am truly honoured to be able to bring you these conversations on a bi-weekly basis. So today I'm speaking with Greg Patton, the legendary coach from Boise State University. I'm sure most of you know Greg or have seen him in action. He retired from college coaching in 2018 with a mind-blowing 800 victories, more than any active collegiate coach in the country at the time. So his resume is filled with accomplishments that many coaches would love to achieve in three lifetimes, never mind one. But Greg has spent very little time or energy focusing on these accomplishments from what I can tell. Instead, he spends much of his time figuring out how he can be an even less selfish human being in order to help others achieve their potential. Throughout this conversation, Greg talks about his love for coaching, his joy of life, and provides some really fantastic insights into what it means to be a successful college tennis coach. So this is a must listen for all young tennis coaches out there. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Greg. Hi, David. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to getting into uh, a number of questions here with you. So straight out of the gates, I'm going to ask you uh, about an, an interview I watched with you uh, or watched of you when uh, researching this podcast. So um, you said in that that interview that that sports is a heightened state of living. Can you expand a little bit upon that statement and why you believe that? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. First of all, it's a state of heightened living is when you're it what you well what you've done for me is reflect and when you reflect you know you almost always go back to that the childhood and the state of heightened living for me and i think that which resonates in me and that it's it's empowered people and emboldened people to be successful is that uh childlike sense of play that uh that innocence that joyous embracement of it and 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 also to surrender to surrender yourself to uh to so many different uh playful uh learning moments um and also what it what it is it's the foundation of that is relationships and that's the reason i always felt like the state of heightened living is is one of joy which is basically it is a foundation you know uh, it's a state of of living a state of being is joyfulness and so heightened living means that you're embracing you're embracing all those great emotions that that make us humans you know it, and give us and and invalidates our soul so i don't see anything greater than that that than than sports because sports really is when you when you talk about it when you feel it when you embrace it is this idea of play and it's this idea of 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 acknowledging all these senses and and awareness and being fully in the moment fully living at that time and embracing the now in the present so that's that's it for me. Uh, coaching has always been that. When, when I was there, that state of heightened living it is also, it's a safe haven. Mm-hmm. And 
In addition to that, it's a power base. And it also, when you're in that sense of play, sense of sport, that sense of heightened living, all everything is blocked out. All the problems in the world and all the problems that you may have disappear. Mm-hmm. And all that's going on is that just you're you're living in the moment. And when you live in the moment, those moments tend to live on and transform your life and be with you forever. So when you talk about moments, there's so many minutes, hours, days, months, weeks that we forget. But when you're in sports, I can tell you about the times that we played USC down at the Lacky Club of Irvine when I was a coach at UCI. Mm-hmm. I can tell you when we played Georgia in the NCAA. I can tell you when we played Fresno State, you know, in the conference championship. I can tell you when we lost in the quarterfinals to Mississippi State, you know, 5-4 to go into the final four and by one shot. Mm-hmm. How beautiful is that? Those things still live on years and years later. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I mean by the state of heightened living. Basically, to make it really simple is you live fully. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You live fully. And I know as a coach and as an athlete, I've lived fully. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, right there. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there's no doubt and anybody that's been around you and, and has felt your enthusiasm <laughs> and your, your, your energy for life that, that you, are, yeah. you are touching on that. You're, you're attempting to touch on that on, on a daily basis. But, but how are you maybe helping your athletes or how would you encourage other coaches to help their athletes live live life to the max live fully live with that type of energy and enthusiasm would you have any any insights there to help other coaches help their players with that yes I, the first thing is to is to be aware of the fact that to build relationships and to build friendships mm-hmm. and that doesn't only just mean with your teammates that also means with your opponents, because your greater, your greatest mentor, your greatest mentor is your opponent, mm-hmm. is the people that you play with, that you play against. So uh, that that's the first one. The other one too is a really simple saying, and the saying the saying is this, and I go and I talk about this all the time, because it's really a part of every society in the world. There's several things that every society, every culture embraces. They embrace music and they embrace celebration. Mm-hmm. And success without celebration is failure. All right? Mm-hmm. Success without celebration is failure. So the way that I get my players to embrace the state of heightened living, to embrace competition, is to celebrate all the little aspects of the process. Mm-hmm. Celebrate the practices. Well, I was talking about one thing uh, that we were talking about is about joy. And it's a state of being. And what you do is you find, if you embrace that, you have every day you go to practice and you're with your teammates. And it is a state of being of joy. You know, that's who you are. It defines who you are. It's who you are. We all want to be, we all want to be something. We want, all want to belong to something. And how great is athletics? It is, it, it's almost a, a medicine. It's almost basically a gift from God that gives us, says, you know what, as you grow older, you can still mm-hmm. embrace it. Now, a lot of people embrace it as a spectators. 
in coaching and in athletics and people are in departments or whatever athletic departments, what they do, they belong. So for me, for me and my players, we're not spectators of life. We're participants. You know what I mean? Most people are spectators. Mm-hmm. They get their joy, their state of being is by being a spectator. We as coaches, athletes, administrators, or whatever, like my daughter is an assistant athletic director at Hawaii Pacific University. She's invested in the lives of those young people and they play and they learn. The greatest education that we can get, the greatest knowledge that we can get is given at our fingertips as an athlete. We learn to have a handle adversity, success, relationships, discipline, managing our time, managing mistakes, growth, learning, 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 learning. The three greatest things in the world is, you know, relationships. It's the, the search for knowledge and wisdom. And it's also being incredibly mindful. Okay. So, which is, yeah. So if, if you've got a, if you've got a young student athlete, who's maybe just broken up with his girlfriend and he's struggling in his classes and he's not really enjoying his tennis and, you know, is maybe questioning all these things. How, how are, you know, and you're talking about joy and energy and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, coach, I've, I've heard it all before. How, how do you, you know, what, how do you continue to, to work with this kid and help him through those moments? And is, is it all just purely just really investing in that relationship or is there, there are other things you, you, you go about uh, doing to help that, that kid recognize, um, you know, all the great things in, in his life and, and the experience that he's having at, 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 a, at a, you know, a great college like, like Boise State when you were there? That's, you know, what a great question because that's what coaching's all about. It's not about the X's and O's and about the competition. Mm-hmm. It, it's about dealing with people in their lives and being there, okay? Mm-hmm. Being there. Now, you know what? The greatest impact that most people talk about of people in their lives was their mentors. And so many of them talk to other than their parents and family is the next closest thing to a parent and a family, which is a teammate and a coach. Mm -hmm. It's not just teachers. Teachers come under that because we deal in their daily lives. We deal in the process of living and so it's the question is being there and listening, being there and listening. And, and, and so many times as a coach, all I've done has listened and, and has been able to guide them and to use, to use the tool of the sense of belonging to a team and then getting the team to embrace their teammate when they're in crises. Would it be the loss of a family member? Would it be the breakup of a girlfriend? Yeah. Would it be uh, the fact that they're flunking out of a class? It, would it be the fact that they're starting to do drugs and drink to try and yeah. find an escape? That there is no escape, right? Mm. You know, Dave, there's no escape. And this is my life, 67 years I've looked. There's no way you can escape the crap that life throws at us. <laughs> and what you do is you got to deal with it. And you know what? To deal with it in a group that a team of, you know, this is the thing we deal and play, but it's much deeper and more powerful than that. We're dealing with someone that we embrace them and we expect them. And this is what like being in the service, like the Navy SEALs and, you know, all these, the army Rangers, 
those guys embrace each other because they've suffered, they've gone through something that makes their relationships more more powerful and it resonates in their, their lives because they've shared challenges and adversity and pain and losses. And, you know, I'm telling you that some of the greatest Navy SEALs were former athletes who were on a team. So it's, um, it's something that to be there, listen, and then to direct and guide. This, this is really an important point that in the story of our lives, there's four different characters. And I think you and I've talked about this before. And this is one thing that I learned a long time ago. And it just, it was an explosion in my life. And it was the most, it illuminated my journey and my pathway. Is this, that there's four characters basically in a, in a story. And we all have stories. And the sto- those characters are, there's a villain. There's been people that take you away from the promised land, from the goal. And that will try and rob you from what makes you unique and powerful and beautiful and, you know, and, 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 and have the ability to impact trains and transformation. There's a villain. You got to watch out for those guys or those forces. Then there's also, there's a hero. Okay. The, the one wearing the cape and the one that does the right things and the one that we all want to be. And then there's also the victim and that's what we're trying to avoid. Okay. And then there's the guide. Now, the most important one, you always ask people, who's the most important character? We all say, well, it's a hero. And I say, BS, it's a hero. <laughs> they got the same old story, man. You know what the greatest character is? The greatest character is the guide. It's Yoda. Mm. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> it's uh, Higachi and whatever. <laughs> I can't remember his name. The guy in the um, Karate Kid. You <laughs> Mr. Know? Miyagi. It, it's like... Yeah, you may argue. I got him. Sorry. You know, it's Dumbledore. If it's Dan Dumbledore from Harry Potter, it's Gandalf in um, in the Lord of the Rings. Those are the ones. You know, yeah. and that's who we are. That's who. Now, you and your search, Gabe. You and your search. You're a guide. Mm-hmm. You're not the hero, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hero. I'm a guide. And it's the one that intrigues us. That's the one that enthralls us. That is the one that we're attracted to, mm-hmm. is that we all need to search for the, you know, for the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Or if you look at me, I look so much like Yoda. You look for the Yoda. <laughs> and I will accept that mantle. I will accept that. I will accept that cloak. Yes. I'll yes. be Yoda, Absolutely. but I will guide them because, yeah. So that's that's such a great okay. such a great role to be. So so, Craig, so what, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go go. Well, I was just yeah. saying saying with the with the listening aspect, and and that's something I think as as look males. I'm generalizing here a bit, but but men in general, um, you know, we we're often trying to to fix and and provide solutions, and and maybe don't yeah. listen as as well as we should, and and sit back and. And, and try to hear and process we're always almost looking for solutions straight away and just go do this this and uh-huh. this and, and it'll all be fine so is that that listening component is that something that's evolved for you over time has it, it always been a, a strength of yours or, or just something as you coach you've realized is 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 a is one of the more important elements of of being a successful guide or coach uh no it's evolved and it's going through pain mm. i think the reason I think the reason I've embraced coaching so much is if you go through pain, I don't want to get, I, I mean, I just got to say it, you know, uh, 
lost my father when I was 18. I've lost three younger siblings. Uh, and then being a coach is dealing with uh, having great athletes that sometimes have gone through pain, have gone through. I had a player who was one of the best players ever coached at Irvine uh, who was killed in a drug deal. Uh, you know, and so what happens is you go through pain and loss. And then what you do is you evolve and you deal with the pain and you decide that in you decide that you're going to conquer that. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that by being uh, caring and compassionate and developing principles and values that will maintain you and guide you through your life. And um, I've said, you know, joy, uh, compassion is being incredibly compassionate as a coach and your teammates and teaching them to be compassionate with their teammates and with their opponents and with crowds and everything passion which is spurred by purpose having a purpose in your life a purpose mm -hmm. my purpose was to transform lives if i transform lives, we would win championships <laughs> it was that easy it's not don't win championships and hope it transforms life that's the wrong that's the wrong entry you're going through the doghouse mm -hmm. go through the front door go through the living room go into the heart of the house which is the kitchen where you're cooking and you're you're creating mm -hmm. so you got to do that through the front door and that's through um you know, passion, have passion about it, not people. Yeah. Passion's all about people, and it's not about yourself. You know, being passionate about, well, I want to be rich, I want to be famous, I want to be handsome, I want to be great. Uh -uh. You do it the other way. Be passionate about other people. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, and I said, uh, mindfulness, you know, is fully present, mm -hmm. fully focused. You know, now, now you and I are talking, the only thing that matters is our conversation mm -hmm. and reevaluating, reflecting on your life, my life, the life of my athlete. Mm -hmm. And the life of my people that support us and my support base and my fans and, or the fans of our program. And then non-judgmental. Okay, that's where I was getting it with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Non-judgmental. It was with your players. No matter. So that's the reason I think you have the, the power to change and to transform others is that if you're non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. And then gratitude. You know, gratitude's really big. Yeah, thankful, thankful, thankful. I'm so thankful for my life. I'm so thankful for my players. I'm so thankful for my opponents. I'm so thankful for all the people that, you know, I got an email today from the coach, I'll be honest, the coach of Virginia Tech is a dear friend of mine who we fought against each other in terms of recruiting and we played matches at the NCAAs against each other. But I love the man. You know, Jimmy, I love the man. And he was talking about his son just signed with him. Virginia Tech and I went you know I and I was so joyful and happy because he's doing the same journey that I did which is my son played for him and now his son's going to play for him and what a great gift that a coach can have yeah um so there's all these things and kindness okay. is really big yeah okay humor humor and then the last one's competition the only way we can be as great as we can be is we need people pushing us and the only people that can push us Days. The only people that can push us to a greater height is the people are trying to beat us. Because mm. <laughs> we got to stay, we got to win that race. And if you don't win it, it's okay. But at least the attempt to try to win the race is mm. what's important. Yeah, I'm actually going to have Jeff Moore on in a couple of weeks. He, he's written a book, uh, a, a, a really around that topic of of uh, kind of striving together, competing together to to make one another better. So I'm I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. But but switching gears a little bit, Craig, just 
you know, can you talk a little bit about your 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 time uh, away from from college tennis? So you were at Irvine, you're at Boise, then you went to work for the USTA for for a few years, but then returned to Boise after uh, some time with the USTA. But can you maybe talk about how that time away influenced you as a coach? Maybe helped develop you into an even better coach, and and what lessons you applied when you came back to college tennis after those few few years away. I think that you got to help me with this word pilgrimages. Pil- I'm, I can't say it. I'm always. Say I looked again. at those times away as, as a, where you're a pilgrim and you do okay. uh, yeah yeah the trek. You know what I mean? It is the it is that walk into life where you you're trying. I, I might relate it to a PhD, but I don't give it enough value by just saying becoming a doctorate in your your craft. But is learning self awareness. Mm-hmm. And in terms of that, so you know, going to work for the USTA was that I was I felt like a pilgrim uh, on my search, you know, my search to be a greater person and a greater technician at being a coach. And what it does when you go away is you surround yourself, you know, you surround yourself. I felt with a lot of great teachers and mentors and friends. You know, and I don't think the people at the time thought of that. But when I coached with the national team, I, I you know, I was with guys like Tom Gullickson, mm. who I love. I love the man. Doug McCurdy, who was worked for the ITF and his work, you know, was director of uh, player development with the USGA for the years I was there. And a great man, a great man, a great and brilliant. Tom Gullickson is a great man, great coach, brilliant, and also a heart as big as this universe <laughs> and a sense of humor and joy. I got to, you know, I got to travel with Jose Higueras, who, who is a sage. Remember, I was talking about those yeah. guys that are mentors and that, and guys, and I got to travel with Jose and work with players. So I think what you do is when you get out of your comfort zone, and you need to get out of your comfort zone, is to go there and then I was put in a position to play, you know, to work with the, you know, the greatest players in the world. When my first gig was in the eighties and, you know, I was working junior Davis cup team. I had Sampras, Courier, Chang, you know, Martin Blackman and had the ability at the time of not realizing and Katrina Adams, I worked with her as shit and she was an athlete. And what it did is it, uh, it helped me understand. I saw greatness in those people and I lifted them up. That was my job to lift them up in their greatness. And then I found at the time, I thought I was trying to make them great players. But then when I realized this, that the situation I was in was to make some of them great in, in their different journeys. Like, you know, you know, Chris, mm-hmm. um, uh, Katrina, you know, was the, the executive director of the USTA. Right. And, you know, Martin Blackman now was, head of player development mm-hmm. and Ken Kinnear is, you know, head of men's coaching. So I was, I was, I was surrounded by great people, even young people who I was supposed to mentor. And then I realized that I learned so much about them. And now what I've learned is that when you make a player great, sometimes what you've done is you've made them into greater people, you know, with, mm-hmm. with this drive that I have, with this, this, this incredible sense of yearning and passion and desire and, and this fire in me to try and make people great players. What I've done is I've made them great in other areas without even knowing it at the time. 
Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. So, so, but you, yeah, so then you can, you came back to college coaching after that experience with, with uh, an, an understanding of what maybe <laughs> greatness is within people and, and, um, and then looked for yes. those sparks in, in your players and, and tried to, I guess, fan those, right. those flames and, and try and make them great in, in their own ways. And that, that wasn't necessarily on the tennis court. It was in all aspects of their life. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. Oh my God. You said it better than anybody. Let's write a book about it. That's exactly right. Okay. We become better equipped. Yeah. We become better equipped okay. in our craft yeah. to, to make transformations. And there's no doubt. Yeah. And I see that in my players. I mean, I've coached hundreds of players in my course of my 37 years as a college coach. And then add the four years when I was full time with USTA, that's 41 years. Mm. And what's happened is that the, I look at those people now that are adults that, you know, I mean, that are on their journey in their lives. And you see them. I have CEOs that have played for me. Mm. I have seen writers who've played for me, seen artists, all these guys that have played for me and they're happy and they're fulfilled and they're fulfilling their, uh, their reason of life. They're, they're fulfilling their dream. And it was, you know, in tennis and coaching them on a team was only a small, was a small part of it in terms of catapulting and launching them in terms of their life goal and their life, the reason that, uh, for them mm. to, to, you know, to flourish. <laughs> you know, so it's really, really, and you know what happens? Remember I said about joy, joy is a state of being. Happiness is, is an event. It's an incident. And I've really learned that. But you know what, uh, it, it's, it, but one thing that John Wooden says, he says, you know, happiness, joyfulness begins where selfishness ends, mm. you know, and, right. and that's what coaches do. If they're, if they're being selfish, like I got to win this championship. It's all about me. This is my team. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to be joyful. Yeah. They may be happy when they win that game and that championship. They're happy for the moment, mm. but I'm happy, you know, but is the joy there? Do they just <laughs> eject yeah, their players, mm -hmm. it, you know what? I have never won a national championship, mm -hmm. but man, I have players that I embrace and love dearly, and there's joy there and there's happiness there because I've totally, you know, it's like having, you know what the greatest thing is about this day is being a coach. I have thousands of sons, mm -hmm. thousands of sons. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. How great is it when the players write me and I see them in reunions and I see all of them. And even the guys that never played for me, but they were part of the team and they wear their colors proudly at yeah. UC Santa Barbara, UC Irvine, or Boise State where I coached. And the same thing with the national team. Right. Yeah. No, there's there's nothing better than those relationships. And that's really why uh, why we get into it as coaches, but then sometimes lose lose sight of that and, and the, the pressures or the... <laughs> that that feeling that we've we've got to win and and like you said start becoming selfish and start losing sight of, of why we got into it in the first place but you've you've touched upon suffering you've touched upon failure you've touched upon you know your your longevity as, as a coach but could you talk about how some of your you know how maybe you're grateful for some of your biggest failures what what are some of the the biggest failures you've had that at the time seemed like like true disasters but in hindsight were, were some of your biggest lessons or teachers that's a great question i love that question because you know what it is so it creates self-knowledge like the losses mm -hmm. the loss of a recruit you know uh is self-knowledge is the heart of success 
the heart of joy. Mm-hmm. Self-knowledge. Now, how do you get self-knowledge? Sometimes you get, when you have success, there's self-conceit. When you lose, lose there's reflection and self-knowledge. And I'm telling you, the heart of success isn't the championships. It's the losses. <laughs> okay? And when you're 67 years old and you look back at your life and I'm no longer coaching college tennis, I look at it and I realize the success was a failure. It was, you know, losing matches and, you know, and how I dealt with it. And, and you know, losing, there's been times we've lost matches, big matches, important matches, maybe could have transformed or changed the course of a season or getting an inch of life. And it was unfair. There's unfair things happen. Mm. What you do is just you move on. Losing the recruits. You know, uh, I one of the ones that really kind of, I thought for sure that we were going to get Stevie Johnson to come to Boise State. Okay. I coached him in the juniors. I coached him in the juniors. And uh, he was on a national team. Mm-hmm. And I loved him. I loved his dad. I loved his family. He came up on a, he came up on an official visit. Then he came up again on an unofficial visit. Mm-hmm. And when he called me and he told me at the last second, the last second he was going to SC, it was a dagger in my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going because I knew the potential. I knew how it could be great. Right. But I love the guy. And so what happened is I went to a state of, I went to a state of, you know, celebrating the fact that he's going to SE and then all his success down the line. You know, he was undefeated for two years. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was great. I took him to the Masters U to play when he was at SC and he played for me. And then, you know, I had a chance to coach him and be with him. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, I didn't bemoan or I didn't regret, you know, I didn't regret the fact that that he didn't go to Boise State, you know. I, at then, all I wanted to do was celebrate his success. And self knowledge is that, you know, in the scheme of life, in the scheme of life, that was important. In the scheme of life, these losses and this and that, they don't matter. Do you, nobody looks at me right now and they say, "Oh God, I remember when you had that bad loss the University of Nevada." Or you know what I mean? It was like, right. or the times that you know, and how many times that I was. You know, I was sipping, I was, you know, I was embracing a big win and all of a sudden it slipped away from me. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows, no. nobody cares. No. Yeah. You know, so that's what I've learned in yeah. the loss of recruits. And also the ones that hurt was sometimes, oh, and I think we, we talked about this earlier is in uh, when the players, you, you know, would violate a rule. Mm-hmm. And you had to deal with that, and in the long run, you realize and how hard it was to, you know, we we went to the NCAA several times with players, and I, you know, before we went, they broke a rule, and I didn't take them, didn't play them, mm-hmm. and it was hard, yeah. and it was hard on the team, and we go to the NCAA's without some of your better players because they violated a team rule, mm-hmm. and you and it hurt at the time, but now you know that you did. And I felt it was a failure. Like they understood the rule, but they broke it. And that was my fault. Mm-hmm. Not the, in the long run, you looked at, you know, it was a failure. But the thing is, and then we lost where we could have gone on farther. But then when you look, you look in the scheme of life, a lot of them look back and they thank me for holding a standard, even though as painful as it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. So, I mean, acceptance is, is a big thing that you've learned through the years that these, these failures, these ups and downs are 
going to occur and, and you've learned to kind of accept them and, and know that there's some learning or wisdom in that experience and then just moved on and, and not allowed it to, to, to pull you down and uh, ruminate on it too long and, and let it impact your day-to-day -day interactions with your team. So, no, it's, it's yeah. a great lesson for, for all coaches. I, re I, re I have a quote of something I read that really, man, was like a firework in my brain and my heart is always remember those days you prayed for the things that you have now. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I prayed for the, <laughs> I prayed for the NCAA championship. I prayed to get one of the best recruits in the country. I prayed for those things. Mm -hmm. And somehow, some way, they've come to me in different ways and in different cloaking, uh, different clothing. Mm -hmm. But they came to me, but they came to me in a, in a way that I didn't imagine at the time. Yeah. So always remember those days when you prayed for the things that you have now. Mm. No, I love that. Okay, we're going to remember that. Um, so I, I feel like coaches, sometimes they get maybe a little rigid in their thinking, people in general, and, and uh, they, and, and maybe we can talk about player development, but, but they have an idea of, of this is, you know, how players develop, and this is my, my philosophy, this is my way of doing things, and I'm going to do it regardless of the results or the feedback. Is there, is there something maybe over the, say the last 20 years or so that you've maybe changed your opinion on that you were doing something a certain way and then you, you recognize, well, this isn't really working and, and I'm gonna, actually going to change my view on it, even though I've been doing it for five, six, seven years or something like that. Is there anything like that that stands out to you, Greg? Oh yeah, there's in so many different ways, so many different ways that I, the game's changed and so staying abreast of the game. Mm -hmm. um, I became more of um, uh, compassionate and, and kinder and uh, I sought out mentors, you know, that, and I realized I never, I'm on the constant search of always being a student and not trying to be an expert, but always trying to learn to this day. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I became more of a games based coach as I grew older, instead of just drilling, drilling, drilling. Okay. Uh, I think one thing that's really become that I've kind of aware of is I felt like in so many, when I first started coaching Irvine, I would make the guys get up at, you know, six 30 in the morning and, and train and run. Cause I felt like I was that militaristic, you know, mm -hmm. you teach discipline in that. And now that, you know, I realized that, Sleep is a big deal <laughs> in regards to performance and, and that. So now I'm more like put the guys to bed and let them sleep as long as they can right. so that they can get the most out of their tank. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's uh, also um, accept, you know, accepting things and not base, uh, as I've grown older, that uh, don't base uh, success on wins and losses. Mm -hmm. It's uh, embracing, and, and I do a talk on this about, you know, why we do things is like uh, the most important question in our lives is, and you're good at this, Dave, is asking why, mm. you know, it, it's the why question. It's not who, what, and how. I think the second most important was collaboration is who, you know, but then what and how are easy. You'll get those if you understand the why. And the why, the most important reason why we do things is, and I do a whole speech on this, is, you know, is the feeling, you know, the feeling in, in the, you know, we're spiritual, mm -hmm. emotional, intellectual, physical beings, but that spiritual part is the key, man. It's the fire that is 
burning in the fireplace so it keeps everything warm. Mm-hmm. So I think other thing, things that I've learned as we've gone along, but like I said games-based too. I'm really games-based. Also, it's four things I've really gotten into this that I learned. And I learned it a long time ago. This is the first thing was music. I love music. My mom was a singer studying music at Northwest. My mom would sing to us every morning. So the thing is, music's really important. Movement's incredibly important. To move, to dance, mm-hmm. to run, to embrace life, to, to use this shell that we have, which is a body, and to put it moving all the time, utilize it really well. The next thing is positive language. Okay, positive language. Always words that, you know, and I, and if you ever heard me to coach, now, I say really silly, stupid things, but they're really joyful. You know, Scooby-Doo, celebrate, dance to the music, you know, this and that. When a guy's out there to tell a player that I, I love to watch him play, you know, and, 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 and it, you know, look at a player and say, that was an exhilarating shot, you know, and you, 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 you magnify my life and things like this. So you say that and the kids look at you and they go, what is, what's coming out of his mouth? But it's positive. It's bold. It's empowering. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and then, and then the thing is, um, touch, touch is really, I'm a hugger, mm-hmm. touch, slap hands, pat a guy on the back. You know, the, the athletes is that, you know, sometimes they grab them by the head and just let and gaze into their eyes, you know, and just go, I, I freaking love you. You know, and I do that. I tell my players, I used to write emails and tell the players that every one of my emails or my letters is I love them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's sometimes for a lot of, you know, especially young men with their coaches, that's, you know, it's, it's like, wow. You know, and they got, but then they understand that it comes from a very positive masculine place of, you know, a place of leadership is, I love you. I believe in you. I believe in what you can accomplish. Mm. So these are the things that I became more comfortable as I grew in coaching. I was a pretty wild guy when I was young, though. I mean, I was lived life fully, but I had, you know, I had lost my father right before I went to college, and I, I changed my choice of going to college because my loss of my father. And then I basically raised, I had six siblings younger than me, and I basically raised my two youngest sisters who then went on to become both really accomplished tennis players. One passed away when she was 29, and the other one now is a teaching coach in Colorado and coaches high school. And her, her daughter, my niece, is now playing at Boise State. So it's really cool. Yeah, It's really cool. I've been given a gift. I think the thing is this. I've been given a gift, mm-hmm. and if I don't open it and utilize that gift, if I have failed mm-hmm. and I'm trying to utilize my gift as much as possible to this day. I may have, I may have retired from college coaching, but I'm not tired. I'm now working still with the national team. I'm still speaking. I'm still teaching. I'm still a teacher. And the other thing too, that's, that's really important uh, is I've learned in these stages of life. And this goes to answer your first question in your stages of life. I was talking to my son when we were driving back to Michigan where he's a, a volunteer assistant coach and we were in the car and I said when you're a child you're hanging on as as much as you can right you just hang on because you don't know what's going on you're hanging up on this bumpy ride you're in the back of the car and you're in the station wagon you're looking the wrong way but the car's bumping so hang on baby as much as you can when you're a teenager it's all about just living it with no knowledge at all because you're growing so fast is that's even more hanging on because when you're a teenager, all these emotions into becoming a man or a woman is like, hang on. Then when you get into your, your twenties, it's um, same thing as 
is embrace life as much as you can. In your 30s, you learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. In your 40s, you earn as much as you can. Okay, because when you're in your 40s, you got a family and you really want to earn. You want to all the things that you've learned, you want it to put together so you can find financial and emotional security. Mm -hmm. In your 50s, you lead as much as you can. Mm -hmm. In your 60s, and that's where I'm at now, right? I was a leader in my 50s. You know, I was like lead, I led charge, I was general patent. Mm -hmm. And now in my 60s, I want to teach as much as I can. Okay. Yeah. Right? When you get to your 70s, when you're in your 70s, and I'm 67, almost my 70s, and I'm really becoming really spiritual in the sense, you know, why do grandparents, I mean, you know, I, I don't have any grandkids, but I look and, and I look at my players and I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge of the 70s, which is love as much as you can. Mm. Yeah. And then in your 80s, and take this a grain of salt, have as much sex as you can. <laughs> and then and then in your nineties, in your nineties is you going back in your nineties and your hundreds is like going back to when you're a little child and you're being born. Hang on as long as you can. <laughs> Benjamin Button. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Okay, well we need to come up with a plan for 110, 120, because you we need to keep you yeah. going for another sixty-seven years. But I want to. One one last question. Now now that you have retired from, from college coaching, uh what what do you hope future generations of, of college coaches get right? Not not just for their own programs for but for college tennis in general. I think what they have to do as coaches, they get so competitive, is is that do what's right for the athlete, be an athlete-centered coach. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from guys like Billy Wright, who is a coach at Cal in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing about Dick Gold. And I think the same thing about some coaches that like I was mentioning Jimmy Thompson and David Fish, and I go, is learn from them in the sense that be a coach that's based not on results, but based on the process and being an athlete driven where you make changes, you, where you can impact changes in your life and, and tap into kindness and giving and love and those types of things. Cause then you will truly have a more, a greater impact in your life will basically resonate with more meaning and that you will have that you will have no regrets in your self-actualized. Mm -hmm. Self-actualization is going through life with no regrets. Yeah. Some people can win matches on a bad call, this and that, and eventually one day they will look and they'll know that they won the wrong way. Win the right way. Compete as well as you can at the end of the match. Embrace your competitors and embrace your athletes. And it's not about, you know, and understand that. And I think during my journey, I've become more and more aware of it. And there's no greater joy, which is a state of being, as I've said, than being with my former athletes and looking in the seat where their lives have gone and have that resonate in my life and go, you know what? I have no regrets about the coaching that I've done and everything that I've done. I've been given a gift that most people never get. And it's even greater than a teacher is being a coach, which is you really are the mentor mm -hmm. and you've created heroes, yeah. you know? Wow. They may not have won matches, but they're heroes. Yeah. So it's service. Coaches need that they're in their servants. They serve others. 
That's one of the greatest feelings when you serve is be a participant and fully embrace what you're doing. Be a participant. Don't be a spectator. Mm-hmm. Some coaches are spectators. Damn it. Don't do that. Be a participant in their life. Care mm-hmm. about them as a person, as an athlete, as a young man and woman. You know, and then the second thing is to serve them, serve and serve and be a servant. That's what a great leader does. Listen to them, hear them. Then the third thing is do it well. Do everything that I do, coaches, do it well. And you know what well is. Yeah. You know, it's not cheating. It's not breaking the rules. It's not trying to, you know, bend the rule. It's do it right, do it well. And the fourth thing is, is you know, then the greatest feeling is to win. You've won right. Win the right way. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So, yeah, those are big. Those yeah. are big in my life. And I think I've learned through other coaches, mentors, find mentors, find mentors, find the guide. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing, Greg. And I think that's a, a good place to, to land this plane. That was that was an amazing way to, <laughs> to finish it up. But no, I look, I, yeah. I appreciate all that you've uh, you've accomplished in your life. But but, you know, you've not only made college tennis better and, and the world of tennis better but but people like you make make the world better and and we need more thank you. greg patterns in the world for, for sure so thank you for your time well, all, you're welcome all i'm trying to do is jump in the fountain of youth brother i'm trying to jump in the fountain of youth. Well, well, i want to be 22 years old again let's do this all over again <laughs> it was a great pleasure to speak with greg there i hope you all enjoyed learning from him as much as I did, I got a huge amount out of that. So next time on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast, I will interview Coach Claire Pollard, the head women's tennis coach at Northwestern University. Thanks for listening.